if Lil Nas X can be the one in a million, so can we in our respective I mean, statistically, way. no, but <laughs> in something, his was music, right? Ours can just be something else that's really minuscule, but it will still count. Damn. Hello, pop girls. Welcome back. back. And Hannah was supposed to do the intro. It's okay. <laughs> we're derailed a little bit. We're all good though. We'll figure it out. I'm Larisha. I'm Hannah. Hannah's here. It's just the two of us. I don't know why I said it like there's anyone else that's supposed to be here. We need to move on as quickly as possible. Um, Lil Nas X. Yes, we're here today to talk about Lil Nas X, whose debut album, Montero, came out September 17th. A few weeks ago, we've had some time to sit with it. But yes, we're here to talk about Montero. And also, 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 you can't talk about Lil Nas X without talking about the concept of a one-hit wonder. So we're going to look a little bit into the history of the one-hit wonder and whether it's even a relevant concept today with stands and social media and the whatnot. Ooh, the whatnot, my favorite part. Yeah. Well, that's what these these one hit wonders are. They're whatnots. <laughs> the, the whatnots of pop. The whatnot wonders. Ooh, Classic. good one. So Lil Nas X started putting out the singles for Montero at the beginning of the year, I want to say, with Sun Goes Down, technically, was the first single. It's the first song release that ended up on the album post Old Town Road. So obviously he had that weird EP that got nominated for album of the year at the Grammys for some reason. Thank God it lost. I understood nominating Old Town Road. Nominating that album made no sense. Album of the year? Album of the year. Remember that at all? (laughs) Album of the year. And it sets up this weird situation where they can't not nominate Montero for album of the year. Because now you kind of have to. Unless we end up in like a weekend after hours situation where Lil Nas X does not get nominated for anything. And I don't see that happening because I think the Recording Academy already knows it's kind of on his last legs and it doesn't need to be rattling any cages right now. Yeah, so that was technically the first single for this album. The actual lead single for the album, Montero, Call Me By Your Name, you know, music video came out, got people really riled up. Lil Nas X put a drop of blood in some shoes and got sued for it. But he didn't really. <laughs> but he didn't really. But there was like, you know, he had some situations, people not very happy with him. And then he spins you can that. Say Christians. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's like, it's more than that. Like, it, it just feels deeper. But we could talk about how it was yes. a major Christian community backlash, which yes, is. Yes, because Lonaz X gave the devil a lap dance, and people thought that that would derail the life of their children of themselves of the world america i watched satanic panic and lonaz x is america's biggest enemy at this point i guess <laughs> i watched the video once and i was like okay and then that was the end of it for me and then it was not the end of it for literally anyone else and it just kind of it got crazy it got crazy but he did spin the whole blood in the shoe lawsuit thing into a skit that announced the release of industry baby his second single technically featuring jack harlow and don't don't <laughs> do this talk about jack harlow <laughs> don't do this i was moving on uh-huh I just needed a second. You weren't emotionally moving on. I saw it. In I was, face. no, I do. I was wrapping his entire verse in my head while I was trying to find my next point, but like his verse just kept coming in. Industry Baby also got people quite a bit riled up. Homophobes this time, not the Christians. Um, some overlap there, but this was a distinct separation that spun into the whole situation with the baby being horribly homophobic, low boozy, being obsessively concerned with what gay people are doing in a really suspicious way, but not my business what that man is up to. And by the time the album came out, there was a little bit more controversy because of the way that he rolled the album out, which was that in the weeks leading up to the release of Montero, Lil Nas X got pregnant with his album that was my favorite part that he got the people exclusive badge Lil Nas X on the cover of People magazine with a massive pregnant belly Lil Nas X having a fake baby shower for said baby <laughs> Lil Nas X having a visual of himself giving birth to said baby being rushed into delivery by 
the two producers who make up Pick a Day Trip, who produce the entirety of the album or executive produce the entirety of the album. There are a few other producers here and there, but they were kind of his, you know, right-hand man. Surrogates, if you will. Yes, (laughs) exactly that. And so, (laughs) so ridiculous. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. They had worked together on a few things before. I think the only one that came out that was kind of relevant, they did Holiday together, which was the song that Lil Nas X put out last winter, I think uh, close to December. And it was marketed almost like a Christmas song, but it wasn't a Christmas song. It was just called Holiday and had a Christmas themed video, but none of the lyrics were about Christmas. I think it was like a good, like solid first example of how Lil Nas X and Take a Day Trip could work really well together as collaborators. I feel like if they hadn't already started some of the songs that ended up on the album, if this was like kind of the first thing that they ended up doing together and it came out this well, I would have also been like, please do my entire album. It was a really fun song. It just kind of didn't do what it needed to do. And I say this, I don't know anything about the songs that are on that first EP. That album of the year nominated EP, the point is it was not memorable and the songs were not good. And that was kind of where everyone really dove into the one hit wonder conversation with him because none of those songs were an old town road in terms of magnitude. And I was going to say in terms of quality, but I don't really think old town road is a quality song anyway. It wasn't meant to be. No. And I think that's part of obviously the narrative of the album. There's a line on the song where Lil Nas X says, I stuck into the game, came in on a horse. I pulled a gimmick. I admit it. I got no remorse. What do you remember about when Old Town Road first became Old Town Road? I remember I wasn't on TikTok yet. I didn't have a TikTok yet, but I remember seeing edits on Twitter with that in the background, just like memes of, you know, cowboy stuff with old town road in the background and then starting to hear it everywhere being like oh that's the take my horse to the old town road song and then learning about it like the story around it was pretty cool but you know I didn't really know what was going to happen from there and then we'll talk about it more but little Nas X is pretty pretty savvy when it comes to the marketing old town road was fun and it, it went viral but like the reason it was so lasting is because he and I guess the team he found at the time really uh, made it a moment with the Billy Ray Cyrus remix. And then there was like the double remix. I don't remember who was on that. And then there was the BTS remix. So like they were really milking it. Yeah, I know there was one with Nas and it was supposed to be like, oh, Lil Nas and Nas. But I don't know anybody who is listening to Lil Nas X who also cares about Nas. But that's a whole other thing for... the the hip hop girls podcast, which is not us. So I also think that was one of the first times he was able to leverage the controversy around himself into promoting his music. And like you said, like obviously the Billy Ray Cyrus collab mainly came from the story being Old Town Road was rising on the country charts and then Billboard decided that it did not have enough elements of country music to be considered a country song. And so it was removed from the charts and that brought up a conversation about how we think about race and country music, which is a huge issue on its own and a big deterrent, I think, from listeners who are not white people from the South, I guess, whoever enjoys country music from actually wanting to be involved in the genre, any of the genre's artists, because obviously we'd look at that guy like, what is his name? Morgan Wallen. With that video come out of him just screaming the N-word for no reason. And he was like, I'm sorry, I was drunk and tired. But anyway, Billy Ray Cyrus not agreeing with the decision to remove Lil Nas X from the country charts gets on the remix of the song. That version is what propels to number one, stays there for a long time. Biggest song of the year. One of the biggest songs ever, I guess. And it all kind of started because of that joke. And then, well, Lil Nas X was promoting it in a joking manner. He used to be a big Stan Twitter presence. He was a Nicki Minaj Stan, had a whole Stan account, used to do those. Do you remember those like choose your own adventure threads that you had to like try to get out of a lie based on what you picked? Yeah. He used to make those. (laughs) And those used to literally have like hundreds of thousands of interactions. And every, I never made it out of any of them alive. I was really bad at them. 
I died every time in really horrible ways. I don't think I ever like encountered his tweets, but I just remembered he was a barb, which explains a lot about his understanding of the internet. Yes. He said that recently in the Zane Lowe interview, he was talking about how being on stand Twitter every day, getting on there to like defend Nicki Minaj to the death was something that reshaped the way he thought about religion, the way he thought about higher powers, having something to believe in. He felt like it gave him a purpose, which I didn't get purpose from being on One Direction Twitter. I was just, it was just vibes. It was just vibes. But I would imagine that even seeing how Nicki Minaj fans are now, I can see how that would have been true for him as a young teenager. I mean, I'm on K-pop Twitter, so I get it. Uh, It's not my personal experience, but I... I see what the kids are doing. I see what they're up to. I've experienced the wrath of K-pop Twitter. We'll revisit that on our (laughs) K-pop episodes. And I think one of the other interesting things about the album is that Nicki Minaj was supposed to be, well, not supposed to be. He had originally sent Industry Baby to her for her to be the featured guest instead of Jack Harlow. And I just am glad that that didn't happen for a number of reasons. They would have aged very poorly, very quickly. Very, very quickly in the aftermath of Nicki Minaj's cousin's friends and his swollen parts. So that was like the first time he was able to spin the controversy around himself into more success for his music. And I think he's just continued to do that. I think if we look at Holiday and the way that it kind of flopped and I guess the rest of the songs on that first EP, they didn't do well. There was no controversy around them. Sun Goes Down was technically the first song to come out from Montero in the song, just kind of recounting how he felt judged growing up, what he used to get bullied about, different things like that. It was him being really honest and truthful for the first time as an artist that we've seen him. And the song did fine, did not get a lot of traction. The first song to get a lot of traction was Montero. And that was mainly because of the controversy around it. And then same with Industry Baby. Industry Baby comes out, there's all this controversy around it. And he keeps finding himself in these situations where he really does have to play into getting people mad to make the people who are not mad at him interested in his music. So at this point, is it still beneficial for him to be playing into these jokes just to get people listening? The album did pretty well, debuted at number two. Obviously had, you know, two massive singles that helped boost it but there were no physical copies put out because he turned it in at the last minute but what do you think about how him I guess leaning into all of these jokes and kind of gimmicks as he would say to promote his music has I guess warped the way that we think about him as an artist yeah I think I'm more interested in this conversation for his next release sort of what we're going to see then because right now there wasn't really the music to it wasn't like people were ignoring the music because of the gimmick there just really wasn't the music to like be interested in like you said that first EP wasn't really there wasn't really much to talk about there it was fun but it wasn't really the best representation of what he was like as an artist and it wasn't really something you would give a second thought that wasn't that kind of album where I think Montero is much more of a reflection of his personal life when it comes to the writing but also uh, the kind of music he wants to make and the kind of influences he wants to bring to his music. Call Me By Your Name I feel like was a really good lead single for the album because I feel like a lot of the guitar and the melodies you hear on that are really present throughout the album and clearly a style he's really interested in. So I think now that we have music to sort of back him up as an artist it'll be interesting to see going forward what he does but I thought that the rollout of the album was like you said great for getting people's attention I don't think the gimmicks necessarily take away from the album but like I said it'll be sort of about going forward if he is recognized for what he actually made versus what he made surrounding it yeah and I think I was actually surprised and I wonder if that kind of plays into why I like the album a lot I was surprised by the quality of the music because obviously we heard industry baby we heard call me by your name two actually excellent songs that show off you know his skill as a rapper his skill as a pop singer 
I think his vocals sound good. I don't know if I was expecting the rest of the songs to actually be really solid songs that I would be consistently revisiting. I knew, obviously, he announced the features and it's Megan Thee Stallion, Doja Cat, Miley Cyrus, and Elton John, and obviously Jack Harlow. So I was just like, this is like pretty cool mix, but I was actually more blown away by the songs with just him. I think Dead Right Now is one of the songs that comes up early on in the album, my favorite on the album. I think that's the best song that he's ever put out. I don't know if he's going to be able to do better than that, but Dead Right Now genuinely floored me. And it's just him talking about how people have switched up on him or treat him differently now that he's famous. And he's talking about his mother on that song where he's recounting her struggles with addiction and how that has affected their relationship. There's a part where he says, my mother told me that she loves me, don't believe her. And I think when you see someone joking around so much, I feel like most people have like that friend that's like always telling jokes and then they like have a breakdown one day or you're just like, oh no, like this person has like actual like feelings and traumas and not that like we're entitled to know about those things, but I do think it does add kind of like just a different lens to see him through. That's not this guy who's always on Twitter being funny, who's always making provocative content or videos or whatever the case may be. There's a part where he's, talking about his father who actually found out the choir part on that song is his father singing like there's a there's his father's vocals are on the song which I think is amazing um and the part that he recalls in the song is this conversation he had with his father where his dad was like you know there's a one in a million chance this is going to work out for you and he tells his dad like I am that one um he was right great that that worked out would have been really embarrassing for him if it didn't um, would have deleted that <laughs> literally, literally luckily it worked out and there's a right after that basically saying that if old town road didn't do what it needed to do he would have figured out something else and he would have kept working until it worked out or he would have killed himself and he has mentioned having suicidal ideations in a few different interviews and in, in print and in video and then just kind of says it and just moves on in a really nonchalant way and I haven't seen anybody not press him on it but like actually take the time to unpack that in a meaningful way it's very much considered an afterthought and I don't know if that's because he's doing so well now that everyone's like oh he's fine that's just what he was thinking when things weren't going fine because he was talking about how people and this like shows up on the album a lot of him being like well if it's not old time row like nobody's listening to you like your music doesn't mean anything nobody cares you're a one-hit wonder, like that whole thing. And I wonder if people just see that he's fine now, success-wise, and then think that, okay, so that that way of thinking, that ideology is probably not in his head anymore, but I would love to hear or read a deeper analysis of that with him, because I think it's something that a lot of, I was going to say a lot of people are, age, Lil Nas X is within our age range. I think he's 22. He's the, um, he was born the same year as me. So Hannah and Lil Nas X are twins, and um, they are really close. Too. I think he is. Let's let's check it I out. Think y'all are actually. <laughs> When's his birthday? April 9th. He's born a few days before me. So Lil Nas X and Hannah are womb twins. I feel like and that episode of Victorious, you know, when <laughs> she's Zach like, and Andre. Yeah, I can't even tell my son's this apart. Is- how could you? They're identical. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, I feel like that is something that obviously shows up a lot within Gen Z. And I think the the pressure that we have to that feeling that we need to succeed at a young age, otherwise our lives are over because we have to sit here on social media all day, seeing people our age or younger than us succeeding for doing very minimal actual work. I think it messes with your head in a way. Um, especially when so many people have access to you to, you know, pass judgment on the timeline of your life or your career or whatever the case may be. I might be projecting a tiny bit, but, um, Uh, me too. It's fine. Everyone listening to this will feel it. It's all good. (laughs) As they should. Um, we're all in this together. We got this. If Lil Nas X can be the one in a million, so can we in our respective I mean, statistically, no, but (laughs) in something, his was music right? Ours can just be something else that's really minuscule, but it will still count. We can be the only person with our names to do something. And then that, it just works out that way. There we go. 
I didn't you know. know we were going to have a motivational speaker on the podcast today. Who needs therapy when you have pop girls? <laughs> sort of going off of what you were just talking about in his lyrical content, I think coming out also changed his career trajectory a lot. Oh, um, for sure. For how he was perceived in the public eye and then also how, I mean, it changed the whole direction of his art. But I mean, I don't know what his... <laughs> plan had been yeah well I think because he has said when Old Town Road kind of has first came out because he didn't come out until after Old Town Road was already one of the biggest songs on the planet he was like oh by the way had he been out when the song came out we would not be sitting here talking about him Mm -hmm. because his career would not they would not have he would not have had the chance to be him in any authentic way in any lasting way if he had entered the music industry as this multi-genre singer, rapper, performer who was already out of the closet. Because, you know, I think we look at even somebody like Troye Sivan, the fact that Troye Sivan is not one of the biggest pop stars on the planet, when you look at his work, doesn't make any sense. And I think, obviously, you know, we're in a much more progressive time, thankfully. Um, I think it's kind of easy to forget that it's still, there's still so much discrimination over things like that. And I think because people will have a perception of how much progress has been made that we forget how little progress has actually been made. Yeah. And especially the two genres he was sort of sitting between, like we're talking about, you know, how it was this debate between like, is it country? Is it hip hop? Actually, genre isn't a very strict line like that. We don't really need to be even having this debate. But those two communities, if he's being ostracized, it's going to be because of histories of homophobia within both hip hop and country. He is in such a unique position where he's like a pop star, but also relevant in country because of this one hit and also relevant in the hip hop community because he's also a rapper and he's very singular in that he's out. So I feel like it also gave him this responsibility, this unfair responsibility, but this responsibility nonetheless for him to address his personal life and his personal feelings about everything going on yeah I guess this album kind of unveiled that to me that he's a lot more impacted by the backlash that he gets than he like lets on I think about after the the BET awards it was obviously like a big uproar because he performed um call me by your name and kiss one of his dancers on stage And that's like a whole other thing about homophobia, specifically within the Black community, for him to do that at that specific award show. I think if that was a VMAs moment, it would not have been as big of a deal. But like, yes, it would have. But like his VMAs performance was relatively tame in comparison to the BET Awards performance. I don't know if that was intentional on his part. Which is kind of funny because he was absolutely rubbing up on some dudes in the VMAs lot. As he shouldn't have had Jack Harlow in a cage. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I put that in my notes that it feels like it reminds me of um, Ashley, which is the first song on Halsey's album, Manic. She talks about having to maintain this persona that she's kind of created while also holding on to the fact that she is a person who is not this persona. And I wonder how much Lil Nas X is, I guess, trying to blend those two sides of himself now. And I think this album helps him do that in a bigger way. I can hear Montero and I can hear Lil Nas X in different parts of this. Um, I keep forgetting Montero's his name. <laughs> right? He doesn't like, look yeah, like I a heard Montero. The album he, too. <laughs> he looks like he was yeah, born as a Lil Nas X. His yeah. mom looked at him and was like, uh, my Lil Nas X. And then that's yeah. just who he has been. What else? Okay, Scoop, one of the best songs on the album. Excellent Scoop song. Is fun. Scoop is so fun, but you can't put Dojo on something and not have it fun. Yeah. But I think he matched her energy very well and she matched his and vice versa and all the different ways of energies being matched. I thought they were an excellent pairing. I liked that collab a lot more than I liked Dollar Sign Slime with Megan. I think they both ate, but it was like not a memorable song for me. I think it wasn't until like the third or fourth listen to the album where I was just like, okay, I do like this. I just still don't like it as much as I like Scoop. It's not as fun. I just love the energy of Scoop. I've been working on my body. Like, as it, Scoop is what Drake thought he was doing on Way Too Sexy. And Drake could never, Drake could never do what Lil Nas X does. 
I feel like it's also just like very right now yes pop. like it just sounds super current in a good way yeah yeah I do wonder because of how well he's doing now and like you were saying like it's going to be interesting to see with this information like going into the next album how we're going to be thinking about or talking about Lil Nas X if we are going to be thinking about and talking about Lil Nas X my money is on the fact that we will but you never know there are plenty of people who are relevant for a minute and then you know we think they've crossed out of that window um, of being a one-hit wonder because obviously he has more hits, but I think there's like tears to being a one hit wonder. And we'll so, get into it. yes. And so I do wonder at what point is he allowed to stop proving himself as a musician? Like, does this album let him say here, this is who I am as an artist. And now I don't have to continue because you could tell on this album, he's doing pop. He's doing rock. I love Life After Salem and the guitars on that. I think are incredible he sounds yeah amazing I, have, I was I was really into that one and we can talk about it in a talk about why in a little bit I'll let you finish your thought first yeah so I love <laughs> the rock moment on that I love Lost in the Citadel I love the pop moment that's on that I think he was able to show look I can do this and I can do this and I can rap and I can sing and I can collab with Elton John and Miley Cyrus on the same album that I'm collabing with Doja Cat and Megan Thee Stallion and still hold my weight and really stand out and it does it did feel to me like he was you know even within the lyrics talking about like he basically said it like he's trying to make sure that people know I can be an artist and I'm serious about doing this and I know that I joke around a lot but this is you know this is what I want this is what you know I'm striving for and so I'm curious at what at what time does he have to does he still have to do that in the future are we still going to see him trying to continue to prove himself does that make sense yeah I mean I guess the answer to that is whether he considers that a personal goal or Mm. a communal goal because I mean I think he's proved it put out I think even with you know we were talking about the visuals and the gimmicks but he like the visuals he was putting out with the album I don't even know what they're all from but like the uh the canvases on Spotify like, they're like they're, videos are they all from are they're they from um yeah so there he hired a bunch of digital animators and directors and did like visualizers for every yeah. song and they're not technically music videos so that's what's on the the spotify canvases right yeah and like those are also again very of the moment in terms of like graphic trends it reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of like not to not to k-pop but it reminds me a lot of what um <laughs> the group Aespa is doing right now. I showed you one of their videos. They're the ones who have the the AIs versions yes. of themselves. Mm-hmm. But the visuals they're putting out reminds me very much of like of like this weird sort of uncanny animation and like future retro futurism, all of that. All of these buzzwords that I'm just going to vomit out. <laughs> But like that specific style is also very of the moment right now. And it's all, you know, he's putting all this work into making it a really visually creative album as well. So he's got that to back it up as well. You know, like this was clearly a very intentional planned out, even though you said he turned in the album last minute, he clearly was really giving it his all. So I guess the question is whether that was enough for him or if he wants it to be enough for everyone else too. Because obviously it's never going to be enough for everyone else, even if you and me are sitting here and saying, I think he did a really great job of, you know, showing yeah. the world what he is truly like as an artist at this moment in time. Yeah. But- and I think that's part of it too, because I was watching his Zane Lowe interview and there's one part where Pick a Day Tripper, like, yeah, but like, even for some of the songs, like, obviously we were the producers, we were the executive producers, but for some of the songs, like, Lil Nas X was telling us to cut the intro and move the intro where the pre-chorus is supposed to be and then put this at the end and move this here and move this there. Basically like doing vocal arrangements and production arrangements and everything on the album, completely uncredited. Lil Nas X is not credited as a producer on any of these songs. And Zayn Lowe looks at Lil Nas X and goes, you're either too humble or too stupid to not tell people that you're that involved in the creation of your music. But then I also think about somebody like Ariana Grande, who doesn't get a lot of credit for the fact that she vocally arranges 
pretty much all of her music and every time you're hearing those harmonies and melodies layered the way that they're layered that she's actually in the studio telling them okay put this here add another line add another line singing another note add another line until they're literally like maxing out the program that they're working in I think that's a, a it's something that a lot of artists can't do I think there's easy for people to go into a studio and sing a song and maybe not vocally easy but like when you're literally your job is just show up and sing the lyrics and someone else is going to handle how it sounds I think that's very different than actively staying in the studio looking over your producer's shoulder saying no I want this here I want to build a pre-chorus out of this I think things like that like I would I would want people to know that I did that I would want people to know that I'm actually involved in how the music sounds and not just what it says or how I'm singing it and so I am curious like if if on the next album he's going to actually be more involved as a producer um and maybe we're just wrong and that's just not how producing credits work but I feel like that counts I feel like that sounds like production to me as far as I understand well Zane Lowe said it so I trust him yeah (laughs) and if he's right and he said it and I say it then I'm also right he knows his shit (laughs) yeah I would I would say so what were your I guess like highlights from what you enjoyed of the album i think we have it was really funny you mentioned two songs besides scoop which i also which i said was just a delight lost in the citadel was my favorite i loved everything going on there and then i also really liked life after salem Mm. you said and i particularly really loved it as like a parallel to call me by your name was sort of the first thing i noticed with the guitars coming in how the guitar progression is really similar but almost kind of this like very like dark version of call me by your name almost how the guitar comes in and it's sort of out of tune um Mm -hmm. but the progression is similar and then even the melody he's singing in is very similar to the vocal melody of call me by your name but just sort of slowed down and sort of dragged out a bit and I just thought that was really cool I really like when albums are like self-referential I think that's also what made me I think that's also what made me wish that the my main problem with the album, the only thing I say was like done poorly about the album, the track listing makes no sense whatsoever, like at all. Like at all, yeah. the fact that Life After Salem is the second to last song on this album. I would yeah. it as a bookend because of all the reasons I just said. I think starting out with Montero and ending with Life After Salem would have been a really solid bookend. But then also, yeah, yeah I, I can't recall to you what a good number of these songs sound like. Um, yeah, it's it was really it's it's formatted in a really weird way. There is an interlude type speaking moment five songs in, yeah. which feels really early, especially because two of the four songs that come before it were singles. And so if you're skipping the singles, you get to that interlude really quickly. And um, I did skip Montero the first time I listened. I did not listen to the first song because I didn't need to. I did listen to Anishi Baby for reasons that we know. And so I was really confused when The Art of Realization came on because I didn't know why it was there. I think it would have, especially because it goes from The Art of Realization where he's saying, you know, am I happy with what I'm doing? Who am I doing it for? Am I doing this for myself? And am I satisfied with what I'm doing? And instead of kind of ruminating on that thought with one of the songs where he really kind of gets into how he thinks about himself as an artist, as a person, it goes into scoop. (laughs) I've been working on my I remember also being really jarred by that, which I think is also like, I see the humor in that, but like, it doesn't work for me. I'm I'm like kind of having flashbacks to our Billy conversation right now, just about like, this is really good, but like, like there seems like a lot of like editing that could have been done. I feel like we're in like a weird place when it comes to albums like some artists are like do we even need to make albums anymore should we just put out singles and mixtapes and so I feel like albums are kind of becoming like I don't know no I think you're right going into this I had listened to there was a Lil Nas X episode of Popcast which is different our from rival. Pop Girls our rival yeah. podcast <laughs> Popcast over the New York Times And it was an interview with, I believe her name is Jasmine Hughes. She did the New York Times Magazine profile of Lil Nas X, which was really great. But on that episode, uh, the host, John Caramaca, he, there was one part where he was like asking Jasmine and he was like, is it necessary? Do we need a Lil Nas X album? Is it necessary for Lil Nas X to put out an album or is he fine just 
continuing to put out singles or bodies of work in whatever form, do we need an album from Lil Nas X? And my initial reaction was like, yeah, I want a Lil Nas X album because I think it tells you a lot about an artist's intentions. And I, I speak a lot about intentionality in artists. It means a lot to me when people actually care about what they're doing. Um, and Lil Nas X is like the king of that right now, of caring about what he's doing, of putting, like you said, like even like with the visualizers of the album, those aren't music videos. Those aren't being pushed as music videos, but he wanted that there to accompany those songs coming out and went through, you know, the time of finding people to actually bring those visions to life. And those are not like those like weird visualizers where there's like just a weird animation going on on the screen. They're really intricate in a really weird way for them to not be official music videos. I think it's the either Tales of Dominica or Lost in the Citadel, where it's like the, the visualizers, like AI Lil Nas X like coming up the side of a building and like looking in a window that's, like at uh, himself in the bed. That's uh, the Citadel. Yeah, and I think like I love stuff like that. I think that's there's also so the one. Oh, sorry. There's also no, the one. I don't remember what song it's for, but it's like him in like like an '80s prom mm-hmm. sort of getup with like the AI Lil Nas X sort of behind him, and like there isn't a story there, but it's very emotional. Like you just kind of feel emotional looking at it, and I just think that's really cool to just like even not tell the whole story of what's happening in these visualizers through a music video, but just like be able to create an emotional piece of art. Nonetheless, I just think it's a really good use of, because like we've been saying this whole time, he grew up on Stan Twitter. He's really good at knowing how to manipulate social media and work with like what is really of the moment and trendy. And I feel like that's a really good use of the the canvas technology, even if that's something that seems like just a little Spotify gimmick. Yeah, and like an afterthought kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad that we have a Lil Nas X album. And I think, you know, I think it'll be interesting when he's two, three, four albums in to have this as the basis. I think it's a really promising start, like starting point, because I don't know if we can genuinely count like Old Town Road as a starting point. I do think this is like a new kind of redefining kind of thing for him. And I'm excited to see kind of where he goes from here he is a true pop girl and I love that for him yeah so to sort of shift the conversation a little bit you mentioned a few times the term one hit wonder referring to Lil Nas X and how that's something he personally has talked about trying to break free of that narrative as though it's something that is generally associated with being a failure I just think it's interesting to in the context sort of look back on the idea of the one-hit wonder and whether it's even possible to be a one-hit wonder nowadays. So Mm. I'll make my argument for that. But do you want to start by sort of briefly explaining who are some one-hit wonders you can recall? What are some bangers that have been given to us by people that you didn't hear from again? Okay, so yeah. So like Cassie, me and you, one of the most iconic one-hit wonders in history because the song was great and then she went to go perform it live and couldn't sing and that essentially ended her career is Weedus a, a one-hit wonder they're on this playlist for teenage dirtbag i honestly i don't know why i said that i don't know any other Weedus songs snow patrol is chasing cars their only popular song that's that's what i want to get into as well um, okay because the word yeah i want to get into the it, word yeah. popular are different things yeah So I think the concept of a one-hit wonder is super heavily associated with radio play Mm. because it has to be something that has to reach mainstream success to be something that the general population is aware of and probably knows the lyrics to or at least can recall. So I think the idea of Old Town Road being a one-hit wonder was because it was so big, it was getting so much radio play, but it was clearly a gimmick song so no one was expecting it to sort of reach but if you sort of look back on other songs and artists that have been considered one-hit wonders the term first originated in like the 1950s was when we started to see it being used which is also again if we're thinking about radio and we're thinking about the rise of pop music seems to be about the right timing so if you're sort of looking at what would be considered the one hit wonders from back then it's like well yeah i i've never heard another song from this person but i might recognize this song if you go from like the 50s to like the 80s but then it sort of becomes kind of murky 
once you reach like the 90s 2000s because I think that's when technology sort of started to shift and subcultures started to become on a bigger scale if that makes sense and I'll get into it a little more I was thinking and we can get into this after but my I think my concept of a one-hit wonder is like like in the context now that I've like updated it since the beginning of this conversation is pretty much someone who puts out a song that becomes so big that they cannot get out from under it. Right. And I think that's absolutely been, I think that is more of a current definition of what we would consider. Because now like I have a whole list of songs that are like that. But then some of those people, I'm like, well, are they really one hit wonders? Do we consider Carly Rae Jepsen a one hit wonder? She's actually one of the, the ones I was thinking of, but I'm looking at like a list right now and you're going through like the 60s and the 70s and I'm like oh yeah I've heard these songs I know these songs don't know anything else any of these groups have done because I haven't gone personally looking for it but at the time it was like well if you weren't hearing another song by them on the radio it's kind of like I guess you could go to the record store but were record stores really stocking their albums if people didn't care about them outside the single it was all very dominated by one singular market take on me by aha we love that oh I know that one but but then something interesting to note is that they were a Norwegian band so they had relative success in Norway where they're from but (laughs) take on me was huge in america so then it's like well i guess they were a one-hit wonder here but you know oh that's interesting where they get a radio play on their other songs in norway which is something you'll see a lot if you look throughout these lists so kiss me by six pence none the richer uh was in 1999 that song was like really big prominently featured in she's all that and then i think they used it again in he's all that to bring it up recently and it was like a big deal that they had the song in the movie because it's like super big in the first one i haven't seen either of these by the way just to be clear i just know too much about things i don't need to know about in a really embarrassing turn of events i've only seen the new one nor no baby it was a hate watch it doesn't count so kiss me reached number two on the charts like i said it was in she's all that so it was you know, heavily tied to this big mainstream cultural phenomenon, but they also were a Christian music group. And so they were very popular within the Christian music community and they were probably charting fine on the Christian charts with other stuff, but it's like, how are we defining the, and this is to say that the idea of a one hit wonder is very defined on a broad mainstream appeal Mm -hmm. not to say that these people simply stopped making music or weren't able to find any sort of success after having one major song which I think is also has a lot to do with our own ideas of success in this country which we were sort of talking about before where we were thinking oh if you're not super successful by the time you're 20 then does it mean anything and that's also sort of along the same ideas if you don't have more than one number one song which is an insane feat to achieve in the first place yeah then does that definitely I think easier now than it used to be but I always think about the fact that One Direction have zero number one hits and they were them and so I think well one of the other things that I think about that that like reminds me of is this question of like thinking about Gautier, right? And how mm-hmm. he put out somebody that I used to know with Kimbra in 2011, became a huge hit in 2012. And then the running joke is, oh, now Gautier is somebody that we used to know. Ha ha, hilarious. But he spoke in an interview saying that he knew he would never be able to do anything that would be bigger on the same level as that song. And I'm thinking, well, what which of these boats is it better to be in? Is it better to have that one hit and then be like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to step back and just, you know, live my life off of the royalties of this massive song that's never, you know, going to stop being a big, important song? Or is it, do I keep trying to have a career after that big song? Yeah, and I think a lot of that, again, goes back to our specific ideals around success because say you've had a relatively successful indie career Mm -hmm. and suddenly one of your songs becomes really popular 
this could be like foster the people this could be like portugal the man you know Mm. where you have like one huge hit that like the majority of the country will probably be able to recall but not any of your work before that and maybe not any of your work after that do you go back to just making the kind of music that you like making or do you try to recreate the sound of what got you popular do you keep trying to recreate that same song or do you just go back get your bag from the song that did really well and continue to have your indie fame or your Christian fame in that other case or R&B fame or blah, 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 blah. These, you know, genres that sort of can cross over, but aren't going to make you a pop star in the long run. I guess it's, again, we were sort of talking about before, is Lil Nas X going to be, or is he going to have to stop proving himself? And I guess that's also a personal thing. And it's unfair pressure to put on anyone to sort of have to replicate what might be accidental success because that could fuck with your head. But I just think it's a really interesting concept. Like some of the names on that list were like Kings of Leon with You Somebody. And like, I wouldn't, you know, even if that was their one sort of radio hit, I feel like they're a relatively successful rock band. They play arenas. Does that make them a one hit wonder? I don't know. I, I guess think in the traditional a, term. Yeah, I think a Kings of Leon. I'm glad you brought up Kings of Leon because I was just thinking about like that summer 2009 period. That was just like really memorable time for music for me personally, I guess. And someone else who emerged during that time and did incredibly well, Jason Derulo. Jason Derulo always had hits. And so now Kings of Leon is still touring and that was the same summer that You Somebody was very popular. So now Kings of Leon is still touring. <laughs> And Jason Derulo is a TikTok star. And I just can't make that make sense in my brain. So I think, you know, like you're saying, like the idea of a one hit wonder, I think there's also like this idea of of a few hit wonders, you know, like they were around for a period of time, but they lacked longevity. But then at that point, is, is is someone lacking longevity the same thing as them being a one hit wonder? Yeah. And then I think that also sort of takes us into the conversation of can anyone be a one-hit wonder in the age of stands? And streaming. Yeah, which go hand in hand. There's this article in The Independent called Better to Have Loved and Lost, Whatever Happened to the One-Hit Wonder? And the graphic is uh, the guys from the Macarena, uh, the guy who's saying, and you had a bad day. Um, I think that's Tears for Fears. And in the biggest section of the graphic, Lil Nas X. So this came out last August, clearly around the Old Town Road conversation. And the artist sort of, sorry, that was not Tears for Fears. That was Soft Cell who did Mm. Tainted Love, which I believe is a cover anyway. Anyway, so this sort of argues that in the age of Instagram and TikTok, it's kind of hard to disappear uh, unless you intentionally want to. But I thought the most interesting thing, the most relevant thing that they brought up here, because this was before Montero, they were talking about Old Town Road, but then they sort of bring into question that even Panini, which was off that initial EP that we talked about, has half a billion, at the time of writing, half a billion streams on Spotify. Oh, wow. So like, isn't that a hit? If that many people are listening to it, if it's not getting rate, like, which also brings into question something we've talked about before, which is how relevant is radio play anymore in the time of streaming and in the time of stands because clearly he has people following him and clearly the algorithms pushing his music because if at the time of writing this again half a billion people had streamed panini then i would i mean is that not a hit like that's not a flop no it definitely is not and i think about artists you mentioned like carly Rae jepson before i feel like if you asked most people it'd be like oh yeah the one hit wonder call me maybe but she has a massive fan base and has been putting out music consistently that is really loved and really followed for years since. What? (laughs) I'm scrolling through this playlist again. They have fireflies on here. Speaking of Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, she and Owl City. Are they dating? No, they have that song together. It's so amazing. Which was, by the way, speaking of, no, they're not dating. Um, But speaking of, her only other song that's ever charted was her duet with Owl City, which was like right after Call Me Maybe, even though Emotion, which is her album, is like beloved in the pop community. And I yes. believe the second one was Dedicated, that I believe was yes. called Dedicated, which was also people really were into. And then I think of artists like, I feel like there's artists who are no hit wonders, but are still like 
very actively followed and have super devoted fan bases like Zara Larson and like Ava Max who are pop stars but don't really have I I couldn't really name one of their songs I'm sure most people can't really name their songs you might hear them on the radio I don't even know if they would have anything big enough to be considered a one-hit wonder but are still doing fine in terms of streaming yeah so I don't even know if it's it's something that's you know clearly causing a lot of anxiety for a little Nas because it is, like I said, this term that has a lot of negative connotations about being a failure, sort of. But, like, who's to say it even matters anymore? <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Pop Girls. We're really happy you that you're here, as always. We're really happy that you listen, as always. We would appreciate if you enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed past episodes, to head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, five stars minimum, and then also contact Apple and tell them that you wish that you could add more stars. And then at that point, give us 10. We would appreciate that because it's the truth. Or yeah, just give two ratings. (laughs) Give two two five-star reviews. Yes, two five-star reviews, one telling us what you enjoy about our podcast and another telling us what you would like to hear us talk about in the future yes if you have any ideas or recommendations for future episodes you can also tweet us pop girls pod we would love to hear from you unless you're going to be mean and then we'll block you but if you just like want to come vibe with us we're cool we'd love to we're vibey yeah we're very vibey girls That's the new, that's the sequel podcast. Vibey Girls podcast. No pop, just vibes. No pop, just vibes. Um, it's all the outtakes that I cut out of Pop Girls. It's when just I us edit. talking shit then. That's not yeah, the, Vibe Girls. Vibe Girls is the Patreon podcast. Yes. We don't have a Patreon, things. but like no, share with your friends. We so we, yeah, share the podcast with your friends, put it on your social media do all that so that eventually we can have a patreon and get like a casper mattress sponsorship (laughs) yeah and then you can get access to all of the shit talking that we have to cut out of our episodes because we do not know when to shut up but thank you for listening more fun pop girl things coming up and we'll talk to you soon